Hey guys, welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus, receive his love, and look more and more like him each day. And today, let me ask you a question. When's the last time you went to an event or a party or a gathering where you knew no one? You know what I'm talking about? The anxiety, the fear, the trepidation. For some of you, maybe you're extroverts and you think that that thought excites you. You're like all about that. But for the rest of us, uh, it can be a bit of a daunting thing. There's so many things that go through my head when I think about going to a gathering where I don't know anybody. Uh, strategizing, like, how am I going to present myself? Uh, where am I going to talk with people? Uh, am I going to stand by the food table because I can, like, stand in line and have, like, little conversations and kind of see and, and test the waters and see who I can hang out with for the rest of the time together? There's so many things that go through my mind when I'm in an environment where I don't know anybody. It's even worse uh, if you've moved to a new town or a new city and you know that dynamic. And the reason I'm saying this is I want you to think about all of those feelings. Think about all of the trepidation and the unknown and the fear and the anxiety of that as we dig into our character in our new series, Ancestry.jc. Well guys, my name is Lucas. I'm one of the pastors here at Evangel Church and we're so glad that you're joining us with us. Um, like I said at the very top, we're, we're, gonna be, we're in a series called Ancestry.jc. We're discovering Jesus' family history. And so we're taking a look at the genealogy of Jesus and today is no different. We're gonna be unpacking just a small part of the story of a man that you might know as Abraham, but when we are introduced to him here in Genesis, we know him as Abram. So let's just take a moment. Lord, as we open your word, as we kind of dig into the life of Abraham, Lord, would you cause us to see some parallels to our own lives, to our own moment in history? Now, Lord, you are at work. You are calling us. You are uh, giving us purpose. And Lord, you, you, you are empowering us for the journey that you've set before each and every one of us. So we just pray that you would convince us of these things today. And in Jesus' name, amen. Now, let me set the scene for you. This moment takes place about 422 years after the flood. So 422 years after the flood. In fact, Abram, you might know him as Abraham. He changes his name in a little bit. Was a contemporary of Shem. Now, if you don't know who Shem is, Shem is actually Noah's son. Shem is Noah's son. Shem lived to be 600 years old in terms of the genealogy and what the scriptures tell us about the lifespan of each of these generations. Shem was 600 years old. So when you do the math, Shem was still alive when Abram was born. In fact, Noah, scripture tells us that he uh, lived for 950 years. 950 years was the total span of his life. Uh, if you do the math and you look, it, it would indicate that he died about two years before Abram was born. Two years before Abram was born. So let, let's, let's kind of think about this. Shem would have been Abram's great, 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 great grandfather. And he was still there. He was still on the earth when Abram was born. 
Now it seems that Noah's influence, you know, God saw Noah. We talked about Noah last week. God saw Noah and he was the only righteous man, the only man still faithful to Yahweh on the, on the planet. Everyone else had gone their own way. Everyone else had traded in the creator for worship of the created thing. And so Noah was the last. And it would seem that Noah's influence has waned in these generations. And so now we're about uh, seven generations removed from Noah. And they have returned again to worshiping the created thing. In fact, Abram is born into the Chaldeans, which was which is the family line of Shem. And they're gathered around and they were in Ur. And Ur was known to a place as they're worshiping celestial things. So Ur was known as a place where they're worshiping the moon. The moon became their God. They traded in the creator, worship of the creator, for worship of the created thing. In nine generations, following the flood, much of the world is no longer walking in right relationship with Yahweh, with God. So turn with me, that sets us up, that kind of gives you an understanding of what's going on in this moment, the context. So turn with me, Genesis 11, 27 to 32. Genesis 11, 27 to 32. And we're going to be jumping into chapter 12 as well today. And so if you do not have a Bible and you'd like to follow along with your very own Bible, if you're in the Powell River region, visit myevangel.church forward slash Bible. And if you fill out the form, we would love to get a physical paper Bible to you. However, wherever you are, if you go to the same myevangel.church forward slash Bible, you can get a digital Bible on your phone so you can follow along with us. All right, here we go. Verse 27 of chapter 11 in Genesis. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. So this is where they're at. They're in Ur. And Abram and Nahor and, uh, took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarah was barren. She had no children. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, so um, his grandson, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. Uh, take note of that. Their pursuit, what they want to do, is to get to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Terah died in Haran. If you're taking notes, write this down. Nothing changes if nothing changes. Nothing changes if nothing changes. What you need to understand about the beginning of Abram's journey is that his father had a vision we don't know what that looks like. We don't know how that worked. I believe it was the sovereign hand of God in the background inspiring Terah to go to Canaan, begin that journey. We don't know what inspired him, but he had this idea and this vision to go to Canaan. And we know later Canaan becomes the promised land. Uh, this is the land promised to Abram and his offspring by God. But there's something going on here. There's something stirring here. 
Now they made it as far as Haran. Now this is, this is significant because Haran was still part of the Chaldeans. So the Chaldeans were the offspring, the generations coming from Shem. And Ur was a part, was a, was a community, a city within the Chaldeans. But Haran also was a city among the Chaldeans. And so nothing really changes. Terah brought his family as far as Haran, and then he stopped. He camped out in what was known, what was comfortable. The practices were the same. The worship of the moon was still the thing they did. There is no indication that Abram or his father did anything different than the rest of the people of the Chaldeans. Most likely, they worshiped the moon and they were a part of these practices of the Chaldeans. And so they make it as far as Haran. And then they stop. Now, before you drift off on me thinking, you know, what is, what is a, a story from thousands of years ago have anything to do with my life and my circumstance and, and, and how I'm to live in this world? And just stick with me, because I, I really believe that as we consider this moment in history, this is significant to us. I want you to think about what today, what is our Canaan? As a believer, as a Christian, what is your Canaan? What is your promised land? What have you been promised? Where are we going? What is our destination? I want you to just think about this. Now, if you're saying heaven, yes, absolutely. A new heaven and a new earth what we see around us is going to be made new and it will become the place of eternal life for those in Christ Jesus. We have a promised land that we've been promised. Those in Jesus, you know, when we came to Jesus, we became strangers in this land. Something shifted in us. Something changed. We've been invited into something greater and eternal that we have not yet seen come to full fruition. This, this parallels so well what's going on with Abram and his life. But let me ask you another question. How often do we settle for what this world can give us? How often do you settle? Do I settle for the things that this world can give us? Familiarity, comfort, what is known to us, uh, the worship of stuff. You know, we, the, the stuff that we can hear, taste, touch, and see. We, we trade in so often our worship, our time, the spending of our values and our priorities on the things that we can see in this world. And we take our eyes off of what we cannot yet see, the promise of a land, the promise of new life, the promise of worship of the creator rather than his creation. I'll never forget flying out of Winnipeg to go to Dallas, Texas. I went to uh, school in Dallas, Texas. And, you know, I was, <laughs> I grew up in Winnipeg. I, my high school years from grade eight to, to 12 were in Winnipeg. My friends were in Winnipeg. I was comfortable. I understood the city. I knew kind of people. There was a sense of comfort in Winnipeg. Now, now comfort might be a strong term because uh, when the winter came, it wasn't comfortable. Uh, uh, in fact, when the summer came and the cool of the day came, the mosquitoes came out and it wasn't comfortable. So that's a relative term. That's why I'd, I've never really been back. But I remember leaving Winnipeg, going to Texas, 
And things were so different. If you know anything, if you've ever been to Texas, Texas is like a different place. It just is culturally, it's different. Accent is so, like it was so jarring for me to walk into the Gordon Lindsay Tower at the time. That was the men's dorm, it was a 10 story old hotel building. And walking in and everybody was talking with these like really thick, deep South accents. And it just was jarring. Everything was so different, though I recognized it somewhat, it was so different. And I remember they put me up on the 10th floor because the rooms weren't quite ready yet. And so they put me up on the 10th floor the lights were all off in the hallway and they, did, they didn't turn them on. They just walked me to a room, put me in a room. The lights were all off in the room. The curtains were drawing, it was dark. And then they left. And I remember like just standing there in the dark, in this room, in this strange city, in a place that was so like radically different than anything I was used to. And I remember I just started crying. I, I, I began thinking to myself, what am I doing here? But nothing changes if nothing changes. There's a pain to change. There's a pain that comes with change. Dr. Henry Cloud, he says, people don't often change until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. Abram's father could not take that final step. He couldn't take that final step out of the comfort of his homeland. Then he dies in Haran and God visits Abram. Let me ask you the question. If God calls you and stirs you to radically change the way that you live for the sake of pursuing a greater promise and a greater thing, will you do it? Will you do it? It's going to be painful. It's going to have moments that are uncomfortable. But can I promise you, God's promises are so much greater than what we can achieve in this life. Because this life is short. This world and this moment is temporary and the eternal is yet to come. There is a promised land that we are walking towards. Now let's jump into chapter 12 because here's where we're introduced to Abram. Abram becomes kind of the star of the story in chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What a moment here. What a crazy moment. I mean, not only does God come and visit Abram, he speaks to him. There's just such an intimacy. There's such a, an awesome kind of anticipation to what God is doing in Abram's life. First of all, God speaks to Abram. We, we don't know exactly what this looks like or how this happened. Um, but the scripture just simply says he spoke to Abram and he said these things. And I want to speak something over you today that I think is profound. I think if, if you let it, if you let the spirit kind of stir something in you today, it, it can change the trajectory of your life. If you're writing notes, write this down. Here it is. Sometimes the calling is all you've got. Sometimes the calling is all you have. Sometimes the calling is all you have. I wonder how many times Abraham looks back at this moment, the calling of God, God speaking promise 
and calling and purpose over Abram's life, I wonder how many times he looked back at this moment and it carried him forward. How many times did the circumstances around him tell him this promise will never come to fruition? How many times did he look around and the things that God was asking him to do were just so hard and so impossible. And he had to look back at this moment of calling and it's all that he had to hang his hat on. God called me, so I will continue to go. Leave the land you're in and enter the land I will show you. This is the calling. And in a lot of ways, it's a little ambiguous, isn't it? Can can you think about the awesome faith that Abram had to just simply pick up from all that he knew, all the comfort, all the things that he understood and knew. And now God, Yahweh, has now commissioned him to go into a new land. And he hasn't even told him where it is. Just go. Just get going. But he gives him a promise with this. He gives him promises that that should carry him and motivate him. He says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who dishonor you. All the families of the earth will be blessed because of you, because of your faithfulness, your obedience to my word, to my calling. Why is it that often when it comes to walking in the calling of God, we often think with greater clarity about what we will lose than what we will gain. Do you find that? Do you, do you find that to be true? I know I do for sure. These moments where God calls me to something, when he called me to Dallas, Texas, when he called me to move to Surrey, BC, when he called me to come to power, like these moments where the clarity around what I will lose was so much clearer than the clarity around the blessing and the promises of faithful obedience. Friends, sometimes we need to get in the word and we need to just pursue and God, what have you said about the obedient? What have you said about those who hang their hat on the calling and are faithful? God gives Abraham a specific calling, but he follows up with these promises. He follows up with these promises. This is what you'll gain if you walk in obedience to the call I'm placing on your life. There, there are moments to come in Abraham's life when the calling spoken over him seems impossible. Uh, we're going to discover next week that there is a particular moment when it seems like it's going to cost him everything. And there are moments in his life when the calling is all that he had to hang his hat on. All that he had to spur him forward into the preferred future that God spoke over him. But these are the moments. These are the moments of obedience, the moments of walking in that calling, even when that's all he had, that caused him to be someone who the writer of Hebrews inducted into the hall of faith. He he recognized Abraham as a man of faith. And in Hebrews 11, 8 to 10, he says this, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder 
is God. I love this. The longer, the longer I'm afforded time in this world, the more I'm impressed by those who are simply faithful to the call and the purpose God spoke over their lives. I, in fact, I'm more impressed with them than I am with those who have seen the fruitfulness and the harvest come through their faithfulness. Like that's, here's the deal. That's great too. And that's exciting. And, and I'm not taking away from that, but there's something, there's something easy about being faithful to your calling when you're seeing the fruit come in, in a big way. There, there's something e easier more motivating. There's less faith required in those seasons of life than the seasons where all you have to hang your hat on is a calling. A moment in time where God spoke to you to pursue something, to give your life to something. Sometimes the calling is all that you have. Don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. I want you to note something of importance from Abraham's life here. He, he ends up living as an alien, as a sojourner, as a visitor to the land that God promises him and his offspring. He, he, he doesn't actually see it all come to fruition in his lifetime. That comes later. But yet he gave himself to this divine purpose and calling that God spoke over him. It would be his offspring long after him who would realize the full fruition of that land becoming theirs. But none of it would have happened apart from his faithfulness. Friends, sometimes the calling is all that you have. But here's the deal. With God, with the Spirit, it's all that you need. It's all that you need. Be faithful. Don't give up because in due time, you will see a harvest. Or in due time, you will plant seeds in the generations to come that will see a harvest that you were part of planting. Don't give up. Sometimes the calling is all you have, but friends, it's all that you need. Verse four. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So this is the moment where he was faithful and obedient. And now God gives some more clarity to his purpose. More clarity to the promise. To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and I on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on still, going towards the Negev. God, God is so gracious. I mean, Abraham picks up everything and he goes into this strange land and God is so gracious. He comes and he speaks to him once again and just gives clarity 
to the promise, to your offspring, I will give this land. He reaffirms the promise. He reaffirms to Abram the outcome of his faithfulness to the calling that was placed on his life. But, but I want you to consider what Abram does next here in this moment. He sets up an altar, not once, but twice, and he worships God. If you're taking notes, write this down. Build altars of worship. Build altars of worship. The commentary critical and explanatory of the whole Bible says this about this moment. By this solemn act of devotion, Abram made an open profession of his religion, established the worship of the true God, and declared his faith in the promise. Oh, I love that. I love that. He's in a land that does not serve Yahweh, the one true God. Abram comes from a people and was of the people who worship the moon as their deity. He was not a believer per se in the one true God, but now he's had such an encounter with God, such a profound encounter that he has now given his life to the pursuit of Yahweh, the creator of all things, the God who called him and gave him a promise. And he, before his family and his servants and, and Lot and his wife, and he makes a declaration, I am going to become one who worships the one true God. And this is a fundamental shift. This is like a divergence from what the rest of the world is doing at this time. Remember, I said after nine generations, it seems as though the world has moved away from the worship of God back to the worship of created things. And this is so profound, this moment, as Abraham goes, I am going to reveal Yahweh to the world through my family and my children and my children's children and the generations to come. Uh, let me ask you a question. How many of you have invited maybe a friend or, or people who don't know God, don't know church world, to a church gathering or a church event. And I, I, I'm wondering if I'm the only one, but when I have people that aren't church people, don't have a, maybe a, an idea of what church looks like or gatherings look like for the Christian, I see everything through a whole different lens. Do you, do you do that too? Where you start like seeing everything through like kind of a little bit of a different lens because you want them to just have a good time. You want them to um, come back, right? And so you have this idea and you begin to see everything so differently. And maybe moments when you would normally like, you know, raise your hands and worship and close your eyes, uh, you end up not doing that because you don't want them to feel weird. And you kind of like, all right, I'm going to keep my hands down or in my pocket and I'm going to keep my eyes open and kind of looking, okay, how are they doing? Uh, are, they, are they being weirded out by this? They're wondering what's going on. Uh, I'm going to have so many questions to answer after this. And you're kind of just going, you're overthinking everything. You know, times where you normally would have shouted or you would have responded to the word with an amen and you kind of just stay quiet because you don't want to embarrass them or you don't want to kind of seem weird in front of them. And then, then all of a sudden the pastor, you know, you start hearing things differently. The, the pastor starts talking about the sprinkling of the blood and, and you're like mortified, like they have no reference. They don't understand. They're going to think that I'm part of like a full-blown cult 
Do you, you know what I'm saying? You see it so differently. Am I, am I the only one? Can, can I just say, your friend that you've invited to that gathering, they have seen the worship of the world. They see the worship of the world everywhere. The world worshiping the created thing, the pursuit of fame and influence and money and power and sex and all this stuff. They've seen what it is to worship the created thing. They are looking, whether they know it or not, they're looking for an alternative. And if they come to church and see more of the same, it's such a shame. And I believe those exploring faith, they're looking for this alternative. And and friends, we know the alternative. We know him. So here's the deal. I say, build your altar of worship, even in front of your friends, even in front of those that maybe don't fully understand, but they see something different about the way in which you worship and who you worship. They see something about you. You, I say, build your altars of worship. Lift your hands with, with even more passion as you worship God and show them an alternative. Shout your praises and shout your response. <laughs> Receive the sprinkling of the blood. Just walk in that. Abram revealed Yahweh to his family and he would go on to reveal Yahweh through the practice of worship and building those altars and making that stand for him and his family for generations to come. Build your altar of worship to God. Do it publicly. Do it often. Now, before we kind of discount these stories of the Old Testament we need to realize that they, they point us to such fundamental truths about our reality today. We too, we live in foreign lands. We live in a foreign land. If you're in Christ Jesus, you are an alien. You live in a foreign land. You are a sojourner. You are a visitor to this world. And I know that sounds weird and that sounds kind of arbitrary, but it's true. This is kind of what we've been called into. We live in foreign lands. We are the few who worship God among the many who worship the created thing. This building, you know, I'm sitting in a building right now. This is our church. This is kind of a back room in our church. But this building, it's a altar and a memorial built for the purposes of worshiping God. And I could go on and on about the parallels. We, we are in this world, but not of it. The promised land will be a new heaven and a new, new, new earth. This land will one day be our eternal home as God recreates. But the greatest parallel really is of Jesus. Remember, when you study the Old Testament, you need to consider it and walk through it through the lens of everything points to Jesus as the Messiah. Everything points and culminates to the moment of Jesus appearing in history. And Jesus, he was called with a purpose. He was called out of his homeland, of heaven, at the right hand of the Father. He was called out of comfort. He was called out of those things. And he came to earth with a calling and a purpose on his life. Then he comes to earth in vulnerability. He reveals God to humanity. He shows us the fullness of who God is. But he doesn't see the fullness and the fruition of that mission until after he dies. Just as Abraham didn't see it in his lifeline, Jesus, finally, he preaches the gospel. He reveals God. 
He goes and he dies on a cross. And it isn't until the resurrection that he sees the fruition of people coming into knowing salvation through his work and through his mission. And he shows us a better way. And he shows us that there is a land and a promise yet to come. The name Abram, it means exalted father. Exalted father. However, not long after this, God will change his name to Abraham. And, the, and Abraham is slightly different. Abraham means father of multitudes. Father of multitudes. Did you know that Jesus, by his sacrifice, has grafted us into that multitude? He's grafted us into that multitude. Did, did you know that you are a part, if you know Christ, you are a part of the promise that God called Abram to in this moment? You are a part of that. You've been grafted into his family. God's calling on Abraham's life included the salvation of the world through Christ Jesus. And we're going to get there. And that's, what we're, that's why we're doing this. That's why we're walking through the ancestry of Jesus. Because it all points back to Christ. It all culminates with Jesus. So friends, nothing changes if nothing changes. Nothing changes if nothing changes. Saying yes to his call will change things for you. Saying yes to Jesus might turn your world upside down. It might involve a little bit of pain. It might involve saying no to the familiar and the comfortable and yes to the unknown and the things that maybe stir a little bit of fear in you. But here's the deal. He gives that call with promise. He gives that call with promise. Sometimes the calling is all that you have. Sometimes the calling is all that you have, but don't give up. Don't stop. Don't quit. Take a moment, even right now, to think about and consider the moment of calling that God called you into not just salvation, but into his purposes and his plans for your life, for the sake of his kingdom in this world. Go back to that moment. Revisit that. If you've not had a significant moment, ask God to give you a significant moment of calling in your life, even right now. And finally, build altars of worship. Build altars of worship. John Wesley has been attributed to saying, I set myself on fire and people come to watch me burn. I set myself on fire. I walk in my passion for Jesus. I preach in my passion for Jesus. I, I, I let it all kind of out in a very public way and people come to see me burn. People need to see the Christian who stands in the public eye and worships the one true God, reveals an alternative to our worship because the world knows what it is to worship the created thing. But they need to see an alternative. Those that worship the creator. Don't shy away from what God can do as you give yourself to worship and obedience to Christ. Well, Lord, we just thank you for this moment. Lord, those that are watching, Lord, have not had a significant moment of calling. Lord, I pray even now in this moment, you would speak to their hearts and to their lives. Lord, those of us that um, 
fear the change and fear uh, walking in new things, Lord. May we be inspired by this moment. May we be inspired by the life of Abram as he said yes to you and walked into change. Change that brought pain, change that brought the unknown. But Lord, as he walked into that change, things changed for him. And Lord, you brought him into greater purpose and to greater things. Lord, I thank you that your calling upon our lives sustains us. Lord, I pray for those that are discouraged right now. That Lord, you would remind them of those moments of calling. That they would be able to hang their hats on that. That they would be able to keep on going. Knowing that there's a promise. That faithfulness leads to fruitfulness. And finally, Lord, help us to build altars of worship. Help us to be those that show the world an alternative way to spend our lives as we look to worship you and lift up your name in our worship and our obedience. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, thank you so much for joining us. I hope that this has been encouraging to you. I think this series is going to be a lot of fun as we look at the different generations leading up to Jesus, which will culminate at our Christmas season this year. And so thank you for taking the journey with us. God bless you. Have a great week.